reading, I'm reading Psalm 3 and then Psalm 4. I'm sorry I didn't look up the page in the, in the Pew Bible, but most of you do it all on your phones anyway, don't you? <laughs> yeah. Right, Psalm 3. Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. But you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head high. I call out to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy mountain. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear, though tens of thousands assail me on every side. Arise, Lord, deliver me, my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. Psalm 4. Answer me when I call to you, my righteous God. Give me relief from my distresses. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. How long will you people turn my glory into shame? How long will you love delusions and seek false gods? Know that the Lord has set apart his faithful servant for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Tremble and do not sin. When you are on your beds, search your hearts and be silent. Offer the sacrifices of the righteous and trust in the Lord. Many, Lord, are asking, who will bring us prosperity? Let the light of your face shine on us. Fill my heart with joy when their grain and new wine abound. In peace I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. Amen. It would be great if you had a Bible open. It's Psalm 3 and 4. They're the two passages that we're going to be looking at today. And there's a talk outline that will help you follow along. I'm going to pray for us before we look at what God's word says. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we can be here together to sing your praises, to reflect on what it is that your Son has done for us. And we pray that you would help us now as we look at those psalms so that we can better understand our relationship with you and live it out more faithfully. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I don't like to boast about this because it tends to get some people a little bit upset. But one of my great abilities in life is sleeping. Now, you might not think that that's much of a gift, but uh, sleeping is a, a, an extraordinary thing and I'm particularly good at it. Uh, I can sleep anywhere, anytime, there is nothing, and I mean nothing that keeps me up at night. If I were to count the number of sleepless nights that I've had in my entire life, I certainly wouldn't need to take my socks off to do it. In fact, I don't think I'd need more than one hand to do it. 
Yes, there have been a few nights when I've laid awake and worried about an issue, what it was that I had done wrong or how it could have been resolved or what the outcome might be, but truly it would be a few times that that has happened in my entire life. But my petty problems don't compare to the sleepless nights that King David obviously had. Here is a man who on numerous occasions had people trying to kill him and not just his enemies. It was very often fellow Israelites who wanted David dead, even members of his own family. I'm sure Goliath wanted David dead, but King Saul also wanted David dead. And now in the psalm that we're looking at here, we see that it's Absalom, David's son, who wants him dead. We're looking over these next few weeks at some psalms, and one of the great things about psalms is that they give us an insight into other people's relationship with God, how they feel, what are the thoughts that are going through their head, and we get to hear their conversations with God. Some psalms, like this one, give us the exact setting for the psalm. It's in the small print, just up above verse number one on Psalm 3. It says, the psalm of David, when he fled from his son Absalom. Now, to really get the feel of what this psalm is about, it's helpful to have a look at what happened in those passages. Now, Reuben has taken us through that exact book, through 2 Samuel over these past few weeks. And it's in 2 Samuel 15 that we actually read about David fleeing from his son. Now, I can't imagine what it would be like to have everybody against you, to feel as though everybody was out to get you, that you were on the run and you felt that there was no one on your side. I've never been in a situation even remotely like that. The only thing that I can imagine, the kind of a modern day example, is Jason Bourne, have you seen those movies? Like, it seems like everybody is out to get Jason Bourne, that he's, he's on his own, that, that no one else can come and help him, that he is completely abandoned by everyone. It's two hours in every one of those movies of people trying to kill Jason Bourne. And if the story of King David and King Absalom was made into a movie, I've got a funny feeling it would probably look a little bit like a Jason Bourne movie. But as I said, we've looked at 2 Samuel over these past few, uh, few weeks, and, uh, and we're coming to this section where Absalom is looking to kill his father. Now, if you had your Bible open, uh, you could look, but here's the passage that I wanted to just focus on from 2 Samuel that explains kind of the setting that's happening here. So it says this at the beginning of 2 Samuel chapter 15. In the course of time, Absalom provided himself with a chariot and a horse and 50 men to run ahead of him. Can you see what he's doing here? He's trying to look king-like. He's going to be with his, on his chariot with the horses in front of him and 50 men out the front just leading the way to make him look like a king. And then verse 2 it says... He would get up early and stand by the side of the road leading to the city gate. And whenever anyone with a complaint to be placed before the king for a decision, Absalom would call out to him, what town are you from? And he would say, your servant is from one of the tribes of Israel. Then Absalom would say, look, your claims are valid and proper, and but there's no representative of the king to hear you. Absalom would add, if only I were appointed judge in the land, then everyone who has complaints or a case could come to me and I would see that they receive justice. 
pretty pathetic, isn't it? Doing this to his own father. He wants to try and make David look bad, like he's not doing his job properly. And he wants to make himself look like the solution to the problem. Next step is to get enough people on board, especially the military. And once you've got the numbers on side, then you can, then you can take power. It's kind of like federal politics, isn't it? I mean, that's the way it works down in Canberra. Absalom gets the coup organised and gets himself declared as king in Hebron, which was where David had been made king as well. And David is now on the run, forced to flee from Jerusalem. But what really stands out from the David and Absalom story is the way that God continually provided for David and the way that David remains completely loyal to God. David is on the run, fleeing from Absalom. So Psalm 3 and 4 give us this insight into this dark period in King David's life. Just because David is the good guy, just because he's the one who's faithful to God, doesn't mean that he's going to sleep peacefully every night. And this psalm gives us a glimpse of what's going on in David's head. So have a look at how the psalm opens. Psalm 3, those opening two verses. O Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. When he says right at the start his foes rise up against him, we know who the foes are. And given that the numbers are so badly against him, there's no doubt that people are saying, well, God's not going to deliver him. They'd be saying, he hasn't got a hope. He is totally outnumbered here. Those opening verses there paint a pretty grim picture. His son has won the hearts of the people and basically gained control of the army. And David is on the run. And the antidote for David is to look up. And that's what David does in the next two verses, verses 3 and 4. But you are a shield around me, O Lord. You bestow glory on me and lift my head. To the Lord I cry out and he answers me from his holy hill. David is virtually saying, that he doesn't need a soldier's shield to protect himself because God is the shield around him. Verse 5, I lie down and sleep, I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear the tens of thousands drawn up against me on every side. In the face of his foes, he remembers where his confidence is. I love that line. I lie down and sleep. I wake up again because the Lord sustains me. When you're being pursued by thousands of people who want you dead, when's going to be your most vulnerable time? Surely it's got to be when you put your head on the pillow and close your eyes. When you have no idea what it is that's happening around you. But David's confident that he'll wake up in the morning and not be killed in his sleep. And his confidence is that God has things under control. His confidence is that God will deliver him. Let me go back to 2 Samuel for a moment. It's important to realise that David's confidence is not that everything will work out just the way that he wants it to. His confidence is that everything will work out just the way 
that God wants it to. When David and his small band are fleeing from Jerusalem, Zadok the priest offers to bring the ark with them. He has the high priest on side and he offers to bring the ark. Now, the ark was kind of considered to be where God dwelt. It was kind of God's throne in the centre of the temple. This is what Israel carried into battle to remind them that God was with them. Now, it wasn't a lucky charm. Don't misunderstand it. But it did serve as this reminder of God's incredible presence with his people. So Zadok thought that David should take that with him. But this is what David says to Zadok. The king said to Zadok, take the ark of God back into the city. If I find favour in the Lord's eyes, he will bring me back and let me see it and his dwelling place again. But if he says, I'm not pleased with you, then I am ready. Let him do whatever seems good to him. Do you see what David's saying there? David doesn't trust God just because he knows that everything will be just fine in the end. He trusts God because no matter how things turn out, David knows that God is right and loving and just and trustworthy. David trusts God however God is going to have this thing play out. Even if things end badly for David, even if he never gets to return to the throne in Jerusalem, he still trusts God. Because God will do what seems good to him. And David is comforted and reassured by that. Now, I want to say this needs to be the point where we actually just stop and digest this for a moment. Why do you trust God? Do you trust him but only if you get the right outcome? Would you be disappointed with God if things don't work out the way that you thought that they should? There's a difference between being disappointed and disappointed with God. There's a great lesson to learn from David right here, isn't there? He trusts God Because God is trustworthy and because God and God alone sees the big picture. David's happy for God to do whatever God thinks is good. And I want to say we need to make sure that our trust in God is like that as well. That we don't trust God for what we'll get out of it. We trust God because we know that God is good and trustworthy. These two psalms fit together. Psalm 3 is seen as the song for the morning, uh, with David saying that he wakes up and that the Lord sustains him. And Psalm 4 seems to be the song for the evening because it talks about laying down his head and the psalm finishes with the writer talking about sleep. But it's not hard to see why people think that these two psalms fit together, not just those things. There's similarities between the two psalms. Both involve calling on God in a time of distress, Both express feelings of being outnumbered and faced with circumstances that are beyond our control. And they both reinforce the truth that God's the one that's got things under control. But the difference with Psalm 4 is that it talks more about how you are going to handle your situation. Look at the advice that David gives us in verse 4 of Psalm 4. 
In your anger, do not sin. When you are on your beds, search your hearts and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and trust in the Lord. Three pieces of advice that we ought to adopt when things don't seem to be going the way that we thought that they ought to. In your anger, do not sin. Verse gets quoted by Paul in his letter to the to the Ephesians. But what David is saying is, sure, maybe ungodly people will outnumber you. But how will you handle yourself? <coughs> will you try to match ungodliness with ungodliness? It's okay to be angry about injustice and evil, but don't lead don't let it lead you to being ungodly in your behaviour. When you are on your bed, search your hearts and be silent. Easy to see what other people are doing wrong. How about you have a look at your own heart and question your own motives and your own actions. Offer right sacrifices and trust in the Lord. In order to offer sacrifices back then, you had to be right with God. Living faithfully as God's people. You couldn't be a hypocrite and do the wrong thing and just go up and offer some sacrifices. And the psalm closes with this great note of trusting God. Psalm 4, verse 8. I will lie down and sleep in peace, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. One of the things that always strikes me when you look through the psalms is the way that they point so clearly to Jesus. Psalms are often called the songbook of the Messiah and it's no surprise that the Psalms is the most quoted book in the pages of the New Testament because so much of it is pointing to Jesus. But the picture that comes to mind for me with these two Psalms, Psalms 3 and 4, is the picture of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when he knows what stands ahead of him. He knows what's going to happen when the sun rises. He knew exactly what it was like to be completely outnumbered as the soldiers came to arrest him. And there's no doubt that it was a sleepless night for him in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus himself says that he would prefer not to go through with what's going to be happening. I mean, in his prayer he says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Here's a psalm about a king who's feeling attacked and at the same time completely trusting God for the outcome. Here's a king who's outnumbered and it's his own people who are calling for him to be crucified. Here's a king who, when faced with great opposition, doesn't sin. And right there is the example that we should follow. Right there is how God wants us to live out our trust in Him. Right there is what faith looks like. Faith's not hoping for happier times. Faith's not trusting God so long as we get what we want. Faith is not not my... Faith is... Not my will, but your will be done, God. 
So what are the things that keep you up at night? What are the things that can tend to give you a sleepless night? Is it worrying about your kids? Is it worrying about your parents? Worrying about your finances? Worrying about your health? Are you in a situation where you feel overwhelmed and outnumbered? Want to know how to handle those feelings? Look to Jesus. Want to know how to maintain a godly attitude? Remember that God's got the one got things under control and look to Jesus. That's what the Apostle Paul said to the church in Philippi. He says, in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Let's continue to trust our Heavenly Father the way that Jesus did. Leslie's going to pray for us. Praying from Psalm 139 where David puts his trust in God. Lord, you know everything there is to know about me. You perceive every movement of my heart and soul. And you understand me, my every thought before it even enters my head. You are so intimately aware of me, Lord. You read my heart like an open book. And you know all the words I'm about to speak before I even start a sentence. You know every step I will take before my journey even begins. You've gone into my future to prepare the way, and in kindness you follow behind me to spare me from the harm of my past. With your hand of love upon my life, you impart a blessing to me. This is just too wonderful, deep and incomprehensible. Your understanding of me brings me wonder and strength. Where could I go from your spirit? Where could I run and hide from your face? If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the realm of the dead, you're there too. If I fly with wings into the shining dawn, you're there. If I fly into the radiant sunset, you're there waiting. Wherever I go, your hand will guide me. Your strength will empower me. Amen. Mm-hmm.